Well, if you have a Bible, we'll turn to Exodus chapter 15. And the title of the message today, I am the Lord that healeth thee. We teach on healing. Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 22 to 27. And it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Amen. And Father, I just ask you that you'll open our eyes and our understanding of what you require, the conditions to receive your healing, but that we can put our total trust and faith in you as our divine healer. And I thank you that you'll show us that today in Jesus' name. So, you know, God's great purpose in salvation history has been that he is going to reach down and take for himself a people that he wants to shape, mold, and transform. And here's his purpose, so that he can dwell with them and in them. He wants a people that he can transform and shape to be with him in eternity, to dwell with them and in them. That's what heaven is going to be all about. And as Peter said this, he says, we've sang this song, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. That's a blessing. We were not the people of God, but praise God, now we are. That's what he's saying. Called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. And what we're seeing in this Exodus account is God is doing just that for the children of Israel. He reaches down into the darkness and bondage of Egypt, and he brings his people out. And he says he's going to make them a holy nation, his chosen race, a people of his own possession. And so when you read the book of Exodus, there's a progression that takes place. So Israel is in bondage and in slavery. They're being oppressed. And then God grants them a mighty deliverance through all these signs and wonders. He judges a nation to set them free. And it's all climaxed in the parting of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army being drowned. And what we see in that account is that God's hand has been faithfully delivering them. His hand has been faithfully leading and guiding them every step of the way. Nothing is happening by chance. And so his purpose in everything he's bringing them through is as a father strictly, his purpose is strictly to train, mold, and produce a faithful people. That's all God is after with what he puts Israel through and with what he puts us through. And do we see that being worked out in our own lives? The things he puts us through, our experiences, if we look back, he's just trying to mold and make us into being a faithful people. 
And the Bible says, the New Testament says that we should have a great interest in everything that happens to Israel. So why is that? 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, and he's gone through the first 10 verses and he says, this is what all they went through. Most of it was negative. And he's saying, don't be like them. But he's saying, this is what all they went through in the wilderness. And he ends in verse 11 saying, now all these things happened unto them for an example and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And Paul says, all things, all things, everything that happened to them was for our benefit. Written down and recorded so that we can be admonished and instructed. And in Romans 15, 4, Paul said this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So when we read of God's faithfulness to Israel in the past, it gives us hope for our lives today. So the Old Testament, when you read it, it is a living, true history. It's a rich history, I would say, of God's faithfulness. So we're reading, like I said, real, true accounts of people's lives, people that are in need, and of God coming down to earth in his power to meet those needs. And what should that do for us? That should give us the assurance of what he will do for us now, today, based on our knowledge of what he's already done in the past. If God has done, we can read the Old Testament stories. If he has done that for his people in the past, we can know that he is an unchanging, eternal God. He will do the same thing for us today. That's what we should get out of that. And so what's happening here? God had a purpose in all of what's going on here in delivering his people out of Egypt. And what it is is he wants them to know him in a greater way, to come to a greater knowledge of who he is and his ways through the Exodus, from their deliverance in Egypt. And he says that, you don't have to turn to it, but in Exodus 6, 7, he says, I will take you, he says this to the people of Israel, I will take you to be for me a people, and I will be to you a God, and you, he says, you shall know, you shall know this, that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He wanted them to know something. He wanted them to know that he was the Lord, their God, that could bring them out. And that's what he wants us to know. The same thing he wanted to teach them. He wants to teach us. We learn about the heart of God, and we've talked about this some, through our trials. Isn't that how we learn about the heart of God and how he works with us? One writer said this, and I thought this was good. Our security and hope are ultimately dependent upon the character of God. God's greatness, goodness, and faithfulness are the basis of our faith and hope. Ultimately, we trust a person for his character and not for his abilities. Now, that last statement just really struck a chord with me when I read that. We trust a person for his character and not for his abilities. So I had a guy work for me a few years back. And some people will know who I'm talking about. He was the best painter that I've ever seen in my life. I have yet to see somebody that could paint like he did. Talent-wise, you could not find anybody better. He could paint circles around me. He could do things like, I don't know how you do that. I really didn't. I'd watch him. I still didn't know how he did it. But when it came as far as character went, 
I got work scheduled up, and he was super fast, so I got all this work scheduled for me and him, and all of a sudden, he doesn't show up for two weeks. Can't get hold of him, don't know where he's at. So as far as that went, <laughs> the character was extremely lacking. And so he left me hanging just one too many times. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I gotta let you go. It's just, this isn't working out for me. He had great abilities, but he was totally untrustworthy. I couldn't depend on him or trust him. But here's what we need to see. God is not like that, is he? So he's got unlimited abilities. He's the great physician, the living God. <laughs> abilities beyond our comprehension. But more importantly, he's also trustworthy and faithful. So unlike my friend that worked for me years back, he'll never leave you hanging. He'll never get you out there in a situation he's brought you into. He will never leave you hanging. You read the Gospels, Jesus didn't leave anybody hanging. They bring the multitudes to him, and we read time after time after time. He healed them all. You come to him in faith, and with a sincere faith, he'll never leave us hanging. That's a blessing. So that's the character of our God, and that's what we can have our faith in. So what we have here in these first 21 verses, we're not going to read through all of them, is Israel is rejoicing in the power and faithfulness of God. And they're filled with faith and joy at this point, the beginning of this. Look at Exodus 14, 31, the last verse, and we'll read on into 15. And it says in 14, 31, that Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And it says, and the people feared the Lord. And the people believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And then verse 1 of 15, they then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, we sing it, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. And look what they say. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. And look over in verse 11. And they sing, we sing this song too, beautiful song. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? In other words, no one. Who is like thee? You're glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. And he says in verse 13 that you in thy mercy. That means your steadfast covenant loving kindness. That's what that word is. Many times it's translated loving kindness. Hesed. His hesed love. You and your mercy, your love. You've led forth the people which you have redeemed and you've guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. And they're having a celebration. They are happy. God has just wrought for them a mighty deliverance and they thought they were sunk. And they saw his faithfulness, didn't they? And it's men and women. Look at verse 21 in chapter 15. It Miriam's into it. Sing ye to the Lord with her timbrel, she's singing. Sing ye to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. Times of joy. Times of celebration. They're believing in the Lord. They fear the Lord. Everything's looking good, right? And guess what? It only took three verses and three days before their tune changed. Look in verse 24, three days later, and the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Three days. What happened? 
You know what happened? The people of God are discovering that there are not only God will give us times of victory and joy and singing. And we heard some good testimonies today, right? People coming out of a trial, seeing God's deliverance. That's a time we're clapping, singing, rejoicing. And he gives us those times, doesn't he? He gives us those times. But there are also times when what we are going to experience the bitter waters of Mara. That's what the word Mara means, bitter We've got to be willing to experience both the bitter waters and trials that a lot of times we don't understand what's going on when we're right in the middle of them. Don't understand it. And this is the first of three tests. This test right here that we're seeing in 1522, where they come to these waters, the first of three tests that God puts the children of Israel through. And this one here, it's a test of disappointment. So they thought they were coming to fresh water, only to find out it was bitter And God apparently had let them down. So this is what they had to be thinking when they got to those bitter waters. He's brought us out into this dangerous, unsafe place, this wilderness. There's little food and water out here. And they're probably thinking, you know, Egypt was a hard place to be and we were under bondage. But we had food and water there. In fact, they're probably thinking we had all the water we ever could want to drink because the Nile was a big river. They were never doing without water. There was plenty of water there in Egypt. Yet look where you brought us thinking. So why does God, asking the question, lead his people into places of testing? Why does he permit experiences like we're reading here where he brings them to these bitter waters? And here's the answer. All through the book of Exodus, all through the book of Numbers, where you see the children of Israel being led through that wilderness, and I would say all through the entire Bible, there are two characteristics that God is laboring to form in his people. Two characteristics. And the first one is trust, and the second one is obedience. And as the song goes, trust and obey, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus You want to be happy in Jesus? That's what God wants us to be trusting, obedient people. So he wants to have a people. This is us. This is why we're here. Part of why we're here. He wants to have a people that are on display for the world that are living trusting and obedient lives that are going to show forth his glory by doing that. That's what he wants. He wants us to be a people that live like Job. People that he can point to and say, like he did with Job, have you considered my servant? Put your name in there. That there is none like him in the earth, perfect and upright, one that fears God and hates evil. And I would say one that trusts me and obeys me. Wants to be able to point to all of us and say that. Have you considered them? They trust and obey me to my glory. The work I've done in them. That's what God wants. That is all God is trying to teach Israel through this experience, and that's all that he is trying to teach us. He's not trying to kill us. It just seems like it. That's what he's trying to teach us. Israel had just sang the praises of God and his faithfulness. We read it, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. But you know what they're having trouble doing? They're having trouble transferring what they're singing to their new circumstances. They're having trouble making that connection. And before we criticize them, we need to think about ourselves. Because how many times do we sing, great is thy faithfulness, and then we're walking out the door worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, 
or we'll sing, it is well with my soul and we're struggling, I'm not sure God loves me. Just saying we have those struggles, but I'm saying we can't get too critical of them because they're like us in a lot of ways, right? That's why we're learning from them, (laughs) learning what not to do and what to do. But the first point I want to make today and what we're going to see here, the first thing we need to see, point number one, is that God will lead us to bitter waters. He will. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of his plan to do a work in us. And so Israel here, they are faced with a real crisis. I mean, they're out in a hot desert for three days with no water. And I'm telling you, you've been out in any kind of dry desert place where it is hot with no water. Your thirst is like, man. I've been hiking up in Colorado when it was in the 90s and no humidity and no water. And I mean, you get desperate. And that wasn't for three days. And so it's a desperate thing. It's no small trials that they're going through here. And they see some water in the distance. They're being led along. Here's that distance. God through Moses is leading them, them. And they probably thought, man, after I was beginning to doubt, how could I ever? They see that water coming. How could I ever doubt God? Of course he'll take care of us. And then they rush there. They get to that water. However they did, stick their head, put their container, take a drink of that stuff. And it's like, spit it out. What? Can't drink this stuff. And it's a bitter Mara disappointment. They're like, man, now we got no water for our children, our cattle, and for ourselves. And that's what happens here in verse 24. They look at Moses. They begin to murmur against Moses. They look at him, and they're like, all right, big guy, you let us out here. What are we going to (laughs) drink? That's what he's faced with. And then the murmuring starts. So they're thinking, man, now we are in big trouble. Moses, you brought us out here. It's like you're teasing us and we can't survive. But you know what the irony of this is? If you think about it, they're doing all this complaining and murmuring. They're coming against Moses. The whole group of them, I can imagine they're facing one direction, facing him, and he's facing another direction. And you know what's looming up behind them that has never left? The cloudy pillar. God has been with them the whole time. This one that they praised. His presence has never left them. But they've forgotten that. They're not seeing that. They're looking at the natural circumstances that they're faced with. He's the one that had brought them into that test. And he never left them. So we're talking about healing today. And I'm saying it's really easy for us to sing about God's faithfulness and his healing power when we feel good and the family's all well. But we have to know that we are all going to taste those better waters of Mara at some time. Is there anyone in here that never in their life has gone through a healing trial or their saved life? I'm mean, honestly a hand up. So sometime, you know, it can be from small to big. It can just be a severe headache, the flu, a bad cut, heart symptoms, or it could be a cancer diagnosis. And that is bitter water to drink. And it can be disappointing because it seems like it's contrary to what God has promised, doesn't it, when that happens? What we need to learn from Israel's experience is that God's presence has not departed and that he is the one that has led us into that test. And so you look in verse 25, and it says at the end of there, he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and it says there he did what? He tested them. He proved them. That's what he's doing here and bringing them to these bitter waters. So here's the point. 
Even if you failed a test that God has brought you to, what he's doing is he's merely trying to show you where you are. Because you read these first few tests, Israel failed their test. But you don't see God chiding them or getting on their case at all. What he's done is he's exposed their hearts. He's exposed their hearts and then he shows them, look, you could trust me. Here's what he shows Moses and he gives them a remedy. And that's what we have to see even if we fail. God is not. We have to understand this. He's not out to destroy us or discourage us or drive us away. Now, he may bring us to that test and it may expose our heart and we fail. That's not the time to give up. That's the time to say, hey, God is faithful. That's what we see here. And sometimes he may bring that bitter water back. You may have to experience it a second time. Because that's not the only and first time that Israel was faced with the situation of no water. It's only a couple chapters later in chapter 17, they're right back at it. They ain't got no water, what are you doing, Moses? I mean, they're right back at it like nothing had ever happened. And God proves his faithfulness again. He brought them to this bitter waters, didn't he? But the bitter waters were not his provision, only his means of testing them. And they're saying, hey, if he's trying to teach them, if you'll only follow me. And trust me when all seems bitter. Follow me and trust me when all seems bitter and you're in a trial. He says, I will provide a remedy. I'll turn that bitter trial into the sweet taste of victory. Amen. That's what he did for him here. And that is this guiding principle that he's calling a statute and an ordinance in verse 25. And I like the way the NLT has verse 25. It says it was there at Marah that the Lord set the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. In other words, God is saying, this is my decree, my statute, my principle that I will use as an ordinance or as a standard to test your love and obedience to me. And what is that? What is that decree, standard, ordinance that he's going to use to test? It's right there in verse 26. It's this. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. If you do that, God says, then I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. He says, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And that brings me to my second point which is this, is God is training his people that to experience his blessing, there are conditions. There's conditions there. And the first condition that I see here in this passage is to seek him in prayer. So these bitter waters, when they come to him, they produce two responses. And the first response is in the people. And what do they do? They turn away from God, don't they? Turn away from him. They complain. They're looking at their natural circumstances. What are we going to do? They forgot all about the song that they just sang. But there's another response in this, isn't it? And that's the response of Moses. So his response when he faced that crisis was to do what? He fled to God. So he does what we're commanded to do in Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Moses is close to two million people ready to stone him. And he did what any reasonable person would do. He went to the one person that could control a crowd that size, God. 
Ain't nobody else could control that crowd. And it says, what did he do? It says, look there, verse 25, what did Moses do? They're getting on him, what shall we drink? It says, he cried unto the Lord. That's what he did, cried unto the Lord. Probably like that Syrophoenician woman we just talked about Wednesday night. He probably said, Lord, help me because I don't know what to do. You brought us here and I need you to provide water for these people. I'm sure that's what he said. As one man wrote, his response is he goes to the Lord and cries to him. And as one man wrote, a faithful servant cries and a loving father grants. So what did he do? He answered that cry, didn't he? Showed him a tree. Showed him the provision. So the first condition is we have got to go to God in prayer. Because all of the murmurings, two million murmurings being lifted up and voiced, gain absolutely nothing. It changed nothing in their circumstances, did it? We talk about our circumstances, want to complain, get sympathy, whatever. It doesn't do a thing to change it. The only thing that changed circumstances is when Moses sought the face of the Lord, his prayer. His prayer did what all those murmurings could never do. Calls God to show his remedy to him. Seek and you shall find. And I say, when those first symptoms come, that is the time to take it to the Lord in prayer, isn't it? In your family. Take it to the Lord. Cry out to God. For him to come and heal and deliver whoever you need. And the loving father will not turn us away. That's what we see here. He'll answer those cries. Like the song says, what a friend we have in Jesus. The second verse. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And we've heard testimonies today of people that have done that, and God is faithful. He is. Take it to Him, and He will manifest that healing. He is the Lord, our healer. And the second condition we see here in verse 26, He says at the beginning, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. And that is a critical condition. And I think it's significant that it says that first, to diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. God's voice. When he speaks, a person speaks, and you hear their voice, you know what that implies? That implies a relationship. And we've talked about this before. It's not just impersonal words on a page. Because you are hearing the voice of a living being. In this case, God speaking to you. God speaks to us, doesn't he? As his people, he does. He speaks to us. You know, when Elijah hid in the cave in Mount Horeb, the great wind came, then an earthquake, then fire. And finally, it says he heard that still, small voice. God speaking to him, a still, small voice. God speaking personally to him, audibly to him. And God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Could you imagine that? You've gone off somewhere and all of a sudden you hear God's voice speaking to you, asking you a question. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? And that's what happened to him. And that voice went on and gave him some instructions. Told him to do some things. Said, I want you to anoint Hazel king over Aram. I want you to anoint Jehu king of Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha, the prophet, in your place. 
Now let me ask you, that's God speaking to him. If God appeared to you in your room and spoke to you and gave you personal instructions, would you do what he said? Amen. Would you do what he said? Or would you disobey and then just act like nothing happened? I'm telling you, for me, if I knew that was the Lord and I knew that happened, I'd be forever looking for a truck to hit me, a bear to come out of the woods to eat me, or lightning to hit me. So we're saying, he's saying, you've got to obey his voice. And Elijah did exactly what the Lord asked him to do. And so in our text, that's what God's saying. He's saying, you've got to. This is more than just reading something in a book, looking at these stone tablets. He's saying, you've got to obey my voice to receive healing. Because what we have to understand, how did Israel receive the Ten Commandments? So they didn't get them. If you watch the movies, they're going to mess you up, all right? Because movies are not Bible. They didn't get the Ten Commandments because God spoke to Moses up on the mount and wrote in the stone and he takes that down to him. If you read the account in Exodus 20, that's not what happened. First time the Ten Commandments came, it would be like me speaking them, giving you all commandments. Now you're hearing it from my mouth, not written down instructions. So let's look at that. We're not that far away. Just look over in Exodus 20. Speaking personally, his voice Exodus 20, and look at the first verse. And God spake all these words, saying, and here's the Ten Commandments. We're going to go through them real quick. I am the Lord thy God. He's saying this. They're hearing this. Which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, thy cattle, thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And he rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. And look at this. All the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. In verse 19, they say unto Moses, you speak unto us, and we'll listen to you, but please look at verse 19. Let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to test you, 
This is why you're hearing his voice and seeing all this magnificent things on this mountain. He's come to test you that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. That's what's going on there. And he goes on, and the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And he's saying, You've heard my voice, and I want you to obey what my voice said to you if you want to be healed. And so turn over to Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're talking about hearing the voice of the Lord and obeying that. And in Deuteronomy 4, Moses talks to them in verse 10, Deuteronomy 4.10. He says, remember, especially the day that you stood before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together and I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. And you came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire into the midst of heaven with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only, he says, you heard a voice, the voice of God. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even 10 commandments. Then he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land, whether you go over to possess it. So here we're saying God personally, his voice came to them. It was not impersonal. This was not like this God that's afar off and here's these commandments. I'm just sticking this black and white paper in front of you. No, Moses is saying you actually heard his voice. Every one of them personally are hearing the voice of the living God. What does that do to you? It's just like Elijah in that cave when God is speaking to him and he's hearing his voice, getting those instructions. When you're hearing it that way, that puts you under obligation, tremendous obligation they were under. So listen, hearing the voice of the Lord is not salvation. It's not the basis of your salvation. God had already redeemed them and brought them out and said, you are my people. He did all of that before he ever spoke to them in Exodus 20. They were already redeemed, already saved, already his people, already been baptized. But he's saying, now I've got some commandments. I got a voice. I'm speaking to you. You want to continue to walk with me? You have to obey my voice. That voice that speaks to us on the inside when you get the Holy Spirit and salvation now, he writes that law on your heart. Should be speaking to you all the time. Checking you. You, you can just sense that in I shouldn't be saying this or I should say this or I should do this because this is God's voice speaking to me. And disobeying that is what he's talking about here. Isn't it? Because Jesus says, it doesn't end in the Old Testament about obeying God's voice. Jesus said in John 10, He that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And here's where the obedience comes in. He says, the sheep follow him. 
for they know his voice. So Jesus said his sheep will hear his voice and they will follow or obey. And they're going to hear his voice as whose voice? The voice of the good shepherd that is leading them in paths of righteousness is what they're going to hear. They're going to hear the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus repeatedly says what? You have heard that it has been said. He says, but I say unto you. And they're going to listen. His sheep are going to hear that like, that's just not this book written on these little black and white letters on this page. That is the voice when they read or hear that. However, that is the voice of my shepherd and my Lord speaking to me, telling me what he wants me to do, how he wants me to live. Not just good advice, because that was what Gandhi did. You know, Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount every single day of his life, his adult life anyways, every single day. But he was a Hindu. And to him, reading the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was just one of many great teachers. And he read it as good advice. And so when he reads, but I say unto you, it doesn't speak the same as it should speak to us, his children, the Lord. Because when we hear that, we should be hearing it differently. Jesus said this. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, I think God would tell us, now that you're my redeemed child, I want you to approach my word with expectation that I am going to speak to you in a new and living way. Isn't that the way we should read our Bibles? Not just, I've got to get through my Bible reading plan and get all my boxes checked off. No, we need to be approaching that like, and man, this should happen all the time. What is God going to say to me today? How is his voice going to speak to me through his word today? So it not only comes that way, it comes other ways, doesn't it? That inner voice of the Holy Spirit, like we talked about. He can speak to us in dreams, in visions, through prophecy, through preaching, through other Christians sharing, whether it's your husband, wife, somebody at church. We should be able to hear God's voice and what they're saying. And it's no small thing when he's speaking to us in any of those ways. And what is he always doing with that? You're hearing that voice is always calling us to trust and obey him, isn't it? That's what's going on. And obeying the voice of God is linked with healing, not only here in Exodus 15, 26, but in many places. And for instance, Deuteronomy 28, 1, it says, And it shall come to pass, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and on and on and on. And conversely, or in an opposite way, God warns that those that will not hearken unto his voice, he specifically says that. So those that do hearken to his voice, blessings are going to overtake you. But to those that won't, he is saying these curses will come upon you. And it's some hard reading because he goes on to name every disease imaginable. So there's 14 verses. If you read Deuteronomy 28 of God says, if you obey my voice, here's the blessings that will come. And there's 54 verses of curses. So that's a good place to avoid, isn't it? We want the Lord to be our healer. God says that if we'll be faithful, this is what he's telling us here back to Exodus 15, 26. If we'll be faithful to diligently hearken to his voice, do what he says, then we can be confident that he will be our healer. Amen? 
So that tells us, hey, we read our Bibles. We should read it with the intention of I'm going to do what it says with a willing heart. That's what God wants from us. Reading our Bibles with a willing heart. Lord, what will you have me to do? Because you may find something that you just read or read whatever or what you're reading that day. And it's going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. And we've got to be willing to obey his voice when he speaks to us that way. And if we do that, if we're faithful, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Ah, we miss it. Yeah, I've had that inner voice just this week. Tell me to do something. I'm going to do it and get convicted. And then I end up having to do it. That's the way it works sometimes, right? But if we'll do that, hearken to that voice, however it comes, he promises to be our healer. He promises he'll make our bitter water sweet, which brings me to my last point that God has provided the means to turn our bitter into sweet. So when Moses cried out to the Lord, it says the Lord did what? He cried out, it says the Lord showed unto him a tree. And here's two things we need to see there. God had to provide that tree to change that water, didn't he? Moses didn't have anything in him that was going to work. He didn't have any little magic powder. It was nothing like that. He showed him a tree and there was no properties in that tree that somehow made a chemical reaction and everything boiled over like, you know, Alka-Seltzer when he threw that tree and all of a sudden the waters were good. No, it was a supernatural miracle when he did that. But God had to provide that, didn't he? A supernatural provision of God. And the second thing was, it says God showed him that tree. That tree was there all along. But God had to show it to him and that was a result of his prayer. He wouldn't have seen it otherwise. And so God has pledged himself, what, in Exodus 15, 26, to be the Lord our healer. And it works the same way. He had to provide the means, didn't he? He had to provide the lamb of Isaiah 53, the Lord Jesus Christ, where it says, surely he has borne our pains and carried our diseases. He's done that for us. He had to provide the lamb. But he also has to provide a revelation of that healing that is provided in the atonement because not all can see it. Because what does it say right in Isaiah 53? Lord, who has believed our report? In other words, everybody's not able to see that. Not all do. Not all can see that what happened on Golgotha's hill 2,000 years ago can somehow bring them supernatural healing to their bodies today. Not everybody can see that or believe that. And are you struggling with that, I would say? Because some are. Are you not sure it will work for you? And I'd say we're back to where we were. we've talked about this, to make it your life goal, to pray to God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is part of the revelation of the knowledge of Him. That's a big part, isn't it? That what we see him doing in the Old and New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will do for you today. And he says, pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Ask him to open the eyes of your understanding that they can be enlightened to see what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Whereas the net says, what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe is displayed in the exercise of his immense strength? Because God has sent his word and healed us. Has he not? That's what he has done. He's provided healing, sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Or the word is the pits. 
He's taken you out of the pits. It's his gracious gift to a sick and dying world. Anyone that'll trust him. So let's look at a couple passages. Look at Psalm 103, please. Psalm 103. And here we see the benefits God gives his children. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, Forget not all his benefits. And he gives two right off the bat. Verse 3, Who forgives all thine iniquities. And what does the second part say? He heals all thy diseases. Verse 4, he redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Praise the Lord. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And look here, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And like as a father pities his children... So the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourish. For the wind passes over it, it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant. And to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all ye his host, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. And bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Amen. That's a great, I just went on and read the whole thing. I don't want to stop with healing because the whole thing's good. It says he has mercy on those that fear him. Praise God that do his commandments. That's us. Amen. He pities us as his children. So you think God's not going to look down when you're in a healing trial and just look the other way? That's not what we're reading here. He's brought you there so he can teach you to trust and obey him. That's the whole purpose of a trial. Man, I want to say in a positive way, God wants to be our healer. Supernaturally. That's his desire. We don't have to worry that he won't do it for me. Luke 13, the woman that had the bowed back. The Bible says there was a woman. She had a spirit of infirmity. The NIV translates that she was crippled by a spirit, bent over and in no wise could raise herself up. She was that way. You think about that is a long time to be that way. 18 long years. 18 years. That's a long time, isn't it? to be that way. And guess what it says? The great physician, Jesus, it says he saw her. He saw that woman. He looked on her. It says when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. She wasn't coming to him. He called her to him and said unto her, woman, you are loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight 
and did what we all did here today. Glorified God for that healing. That's what we should do, amen? And that's what happens. And you know what? The ruler of the synagogue, watching this happen, he goes ballistic. What are you doing? Making this woman his 18 years boat over and couldn't stand up. What are you doing making her stand up? And Jesus let him have it. He says, you are a hypocrite. He says, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to water? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? The great physician, he looks on one of his patients, one of his children, a daughter of Abraham, bound by a cruel demon. And he's like, why would I not loose one of my children? Why wouldn't I do that, he says. You set a dumb ox free from his stall to go get a drink of water. He says, you'll do that. He says, she's a daughter of Abraham. And you tell me, how does a daughter of Abraham or a son of Abraham compare to an ox? That's his point. He says, she ought to be set free from the bondage of Satan. He's saying, I want to set her free. She ought to be set free. And you need to remember that the next time the devil is telling you, you can't be sure that God wants to heal you. Because Jesus says, ought not. And that word means it is necessary. It is proper for a daughter of Abraham. We're going to do communion. Surely he has borne our pains. It is proper. Amen. Ought not you to be loosed. Tell the devil that. I ought to be loose from you. That's what he wants. And it's a positive thing. Forget not all his benefits. Benefits are something your employer wants to give you, to bless you. And that's what God wants to do. Forgives all our iniquities, heals all of our diseases. Praise the Lord. That's what he does. David prayed this in Psalm 30. He says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. And has not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. That's a good verse to remember there. Psalm 30. He was in a bad way. He says he cried unto the Lord and he healed him. Brought him out of the pit. What if whatever you're going through is chastisement or you know you've been living in sin? You're in Psalm 103. Just turn over a couple pages to Psalm 107. I quoted part of this, but I want to read a bigger section of it. And so Psalm 107, beginning in verse 17, it says this, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Verse 18, Psalm 107, Their soul abhors all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. And look what they do. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works unto the children of men. So here, if your illness is caused by being backslidden or you've been in sin or whatever, and you know that, go to the great physician and explain your trouble. That's what we have here in verse 19. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their destruction. When you do that and go to the Lord and say, I know things haven't been right. 
And that's probably why I'm going through this. You're trying to get my attention. Go to the Lord. And it says then when you do that, when they did that, when they cried unto the Lord, then he didn't ignore them. It says he sent his word in response to that. And that's what he'll do. He'll bring healing and deliverance. You know, so if the doctor gives somebody orders, you go to a doctor, you better obey what he says if you want to get well. If he tells you, you know, you need to stop smoking, you need to walk daily and take these pills three times a day, that's what you need to do, right? That's what happens. And so sometimes God, doesn't he give us instructions as our physician what to do? We're back to we have to obey his voice if we want to be healed. And sometimes his instructions involve confessing sin and repenting. So if you turn to one other place, please, James 5, verses 13 to 16, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And it says here, if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him, implying sins might have been what put him on his back. Well, look what he says in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. So sometimes that's what has to happen, isn't it? You're on your back, you got something serious, and it just may be there's some sin there that needs to be dealt with in your life. So go back to Exodus 15, 26. I heard his testimony the other day. This man's name's Paris Reedhead. He's, he's passed away, but he was just a great preacher. Just a great preacher. And I heard him tell... This lady, he's in his office on a Saturday getting ready to preach on a Sunday, and this lady calls him, and she tells him, she says, I've got inoperable cancer, and the doctors are telling me that I've only got a few months to live. And as she's talking, Paris Reed had said, I'm praying for God to give me wisdom. He's like, Lord, I don't, I don't have any idea what to say to her. And so when she gets done talking about her situation, she asks for prayer. And Paris Reedhead says, the first words out of my mouth were, no, I won't pray for you. And the lady is like, what? And he tells her, you have a root of bitterness in your heart and anger against your family. He says, you're eaten up with a desire for vengeance on them that have hurt you. And he told her, he said, get before God and confess your sin of bitterness and anger. Ask God to forgive you. And he said, if you do that, then you come and ask for prayer and God will heal you. And the lady said to him, she says, how did you know that? And he said, I didn't know. He said, but while you're telling me your condition, I was asking God to guide me. He said, I was scared to death to say what I said to you. But he says, I believe it is God's word to you. Or I would say that was God's voice speaking to her. And the woman said, I'll do what you said and hung up. And he said, she never called back again. But he said three years later, he's at an airport. He's going to meet this missionary that's coming back from Africa. And he said there's a bunch of people there at this airport waiting, some people he didn't know, and he's over looking out a window. This lady comes up to him, and she asked him, she said, do you remember me? He goes, lady, I've never seen you in my life. And she goes, no, you haven't. She goes, but do you remember the lady you talked to on the phone with inoperable cancer? And he's like, I could never forget that. So, yeah, I remember that. And she said, I did what you said. And she said, I was totally healed. 
She says, I did that. I went back to the doctor. They said they could find no trace of the cancer. And isn't that what we're talking about here? Look, let's read it together, Exodus 15, 26. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, which is what she did. She got a word from the Lord and obeyed it. He says, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healed. Amen. He sent his word and healed them. So what we have here in Exodus, it's a covenant that God made with his people, a statute, a decree. And this is the covenant that if you will just consecrate yourselves to me, commit yourself to seek my face, obey my voice and walk in my commandments, then God says, I pledge myself to be your healer, your physician, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Not just a healer, he will be your healer and my healer. The New American Standard translates that, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Your healer. Makes a decree, pledges himself, puts his character on the line to be our great physician. That's what God says he'll do. And that's a positive thing. It really is. So we have to have faith in his faithfulness, faith in his character. We have to have faith in his integrity, not us, him. Faith in that. We have to have faith that God is an honest being. As it says in F.F. Bosworth, I like that. He's an honest being, and he is. That God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken? And shall he not make it good? He will. Amen. So there are times, to sum it up, he is going to bring us to the bitter waters of Mara. And we'll have our faith tested. And we'll have to trust in God to heal us. But if we meet the conditions, diligently listen to his voice, obeying what he's asked us to do, he's pledged himself. That's what he's done here. He's pledged himself to take care of us to heal us, to take care of our needs. And he's provided it through the sacrifice at Calvary, hasn't it? And he's also given the power of his Holy Spirit. That is how God ministers his healing, from the cross, and it's administered through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have there. Surely, no doubt about it, he has borne our pains and carried our sicknesses. Amen? I am the Lord thy healer. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God and that you are trustworthy, that we can trust you as an honest being and that you say that if we will just seek you, follow you and obey your voice, that you will be our healer. You pledge yourself to do that. And Father, I just ask you'll make that real to all of our hearts today, that we can put our trust in you. We don't have to fear that you want to heal us and you want to bring healing to our bodies. And I thank you that you'll do that for us here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.